Turn with me to Psalm 73, please. Psalm 73. I just want to lift out one verse, and then as we go through the, this message this morning, we'll, God willing, we'll look at more. Um, Pastor Glenn spoke on Asaph and the psalm some weeks ago, maybe months ago now. I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was a, a great study on it. If you look it up, it'll be online. Uh, but we're going to go a different direction this morning. Psalm 73, will we just lift out the one verse? Uh, verse 17, please. The psalmist says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Let's read it again. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Let us pray. Father, we ask you that you would now settle us in our minds, in our hearts, even in our seats. Father, that you would settle this congregation. I thank you for each and every person who has come along this morning. We pray for the little ones in the creche and for those who will look after them. We pray for all of those children now away down to Children's Church and for the teachers there. We ask you, Father, that you'll bless each and every one of them and encourage them. Lord, that you'd put something in their little hearts, Lord, that, uh, Lord, would stay with them forever to bring them to eternity. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name for those who are second at home or even those who are just watching now. Lord, we pray for them as we pray for the church here this morning. Lord, would you settle us all and, Lord, would you give us understanding? Would you give us, Lord, ears to hear and hearts to receive? And Lord, by this morning is over, may Christ alone be seen glorified. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that he would be exalted. Thank you, Father, for your spirit among us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we wanted to speak on four words, as it were, as our title of Psalm 73 and verse 17. We entitled it, The Sanctuary of God. The Sanctuary of God. The word sanctuary, there is the word Mechdash, and simply means to set aside, to be sacred. To set aside, to be sacred, it gives the idea to set aside, to be holy for God's use. H-O-L-Y, for God's use. And so whenever uh, the psalmist here is writing, until I went into the sanctuary, the writing here of the tabernacle in the wilderness And then later on in years, it would be the temple in Jerusalem. And we're going to look a little at this this morning. It was set apart, sanctified, set as holy for God's use. And then the new covenant, the temple in the new covenant is you, brother, and you, sister. We are the new temple, the third temple of God. We are the temple that are to be sanctified by the Spirit, set apart for God's use. And hence we're going to see that which is in Psalm 73 and in other places. I want to look at some of the things that would have happened in the temple and sort of try and bring it to you this morning where you see where we should be as the temple. Now, yes, we speak about coming out this morning under this tabernacle here, Literally, we come to worship and to praise. And what should be happening, not only in our lives, but in corporate, as we call it, corporate worship together as we gather in, whether it be in the tabernacle here or whether it be somewhere else in a building or on our own. So we'll look at it this morning in the Lord's will. And he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and the word God is word El, or El sometimes is pronounced. And it's like El Shaddai. El, El, Yon. Sometimes God is just called El. But it actually gives the the meaning of strength and might and power. And uh, what the psalmist is saying, until I went into the sanctuary, the place that's been set apart by Israel, the place that is set apart from those people who don't want to come to the sanctuary, he says it's there where there is strength and power. You can even say in your quiet place, someone was speaking to me about this yesterday, your trysting place. And they asked me about a trysting place. I said, well, really, a trysting place is a place where two lovers meet. And really, the trysting place of the saint, the redeemed saint, 
should be where you and the lover of your soul meets, where you love him and he loves you, and you meet. And in that place of sanctuary, of holiness, there's strength and there's power. And so when the psalmist is saying this, he's mainly talking about going to the tabernacle, and later it could be said, even as Solomon would build the temple, uh, would be of the, the temple in Jerusalem. So take note of this, if you will, this morning. Not only is this word El, uh, or El, it means strength and power, it comes from a word El Yil, and it really gives the idea of a horned goat because of the twisted gnarly horns of a goat, meaning the strength of it. And that's where that word comes from. It gives the idea of the strength, this power, a twisting together to be combined together, to be unified in oneness together, in unity together, where there's strength and power. And even when we gather together with the one heart and mind and soul to glorify Christ, to come around his table, to remind, remind ourselves that he died for us and his, uh, of his broken body and his precious shed blood, we are coming together in unity where we are coming as one together in the spirit, coming together as one under the word, coming together as one twisted as it were together for strength strength and fellowship strength one with another and here's another one when you go into your secret place your trysting place where you go with God if you have one and you should brother and sisters if you have that place with God you're entering into the sanctuary of God it could be your bedroom it could be somewhere else it could be another room in the house but where you are is the place where that load which you have been carrying, that burden which has been weighing you down, that thing which has been distracting you, holding you back, that sin which you're struggling with, you can leave it there for there's your strength. There's where power comes in that place. The sanctuary of God. The place you set apart for you and him. This place is set apart for us and him. And hence... To be in God's presence with God's people in God's house, whether it's the tabernacle, a tent or a building, where you are to meet with him is your meeting with the great El, the God of power and strength. So this morning, I trust that you'll be encouraged or even challenged this morning that you will find strength if you're weak, courage if you're fearful. You'll find help if you feel helpless. Asaph writing this is, is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, writing this for us today. The word is alive and it's eternal, forever settled in heaven. So we are taking it this morning. Asaph has, in person wouldn't have known that we're all sitting here, wouldn't have known us personally, but the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit knew we would need it. So the Holy Spirit, God came and gave it to Asaph. And that's why in the spirit, while we're here together in the presence of the great El, the God of power and strength, the Almighty, here we find ourselves in his spirit. Gathering strength and unity together. And God knew that we would need it. It's living and it's alive this morning. He's writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 3 and 16, Paul says this all scripture. Now, Paul is speaking of the Old Testament here because the New Testament through Paul at this point is being written and the Gospels, some of them hadn't even been written by this time. So Paul is writing of the Old Testament. That's why I keep saying we just can't, people throw out the Old Testament, say I'm a New Testament Christian. You can't because you can't know the Old Testament without the New and you can't know the New without the Old And Paul says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, the inspiration here he means is divinely breathed. God divinely breathed on Asaph. And that divine breath when we meet in his presence in the sanctuary together or even if we're reading reading it alone. That divine breath, when we open it up, the word of God, that is, breathes upon us. He breathes upon us. 
God's word that lifts us and strengthens us and helps us and blesses us and challenges us breathes upon us. I remember Pastor Jennings when he was over said he read a book one time on the baptism of the Holy Ghost and he says he's reading it and it says when God breathes out you breathe in. When God breathes out you breathe in. Brother and sister this morning whatever it is when God breathes out you breathe in. In other words, if you are uh, aware of where we're coming from this morning, and God is showing you this morning, God is leading you in this, this morning, then breathe in as it were to receive. Lord, I receive your spirit. I receive your word and your instruction in righteousness. Listen to Second uh, Timothy 3 verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly finished, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That the man or woman of God might be perfect. It doesn't mean any of us are perfect in the sense we do no wrong and we never fail and we don't sin. The idea here is that, is, is that God breathed on Asaph and other prophets of the day and uh, later the apostles to write the New Testament. He breathed on it. He breathed on them uh, that when we open the word it breathes on us that we would be completely fitted out as Christians. Completely fitted out. That's why it's of the utmost importance the Christian lifts the word of God and reads. It's to fit you out for glory. It's to help you enter into the sanctuary of God where you find yourself there in a place where you're in oneness and unity with God in his spirit. Let me give you a couple of... uh, just a couple of scriptures here, if you will. Turn with me to First uh, Chronicles 25, please. First Chronicles 25. And when we look at this, why don't you see a bit about this sanctuary of God, this tabernacle? Do you know the tabernacle in the wilderness wasn't? Andrew, many, many meters is, is this? Is it 40 or 45 or something? Like that? 40 meters. I think the tabernacle in the wilderness was just slightly longer than this. And it was the same width as this. It was 15 foot high. That's maybe about that, is it? I don't know. So it's near enough the same height of the tabernacle you're sitting in. Notice here, First Chronicles 25 and verse 1. Moreover, David and the captains of the host, now take note, separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Haman and Jeduthun, who should, notice, prophesy. I want you to catch this. This is for the tabernacle, for the sanctuary of God, who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, with cymbals, and the numbers of the workmen according to their service was, and then we go into verse 2. And he mentions names. Take note of this. Asaph and his sons were separated off. Separated off for service. But separated off for something else. To prophesy. To prophesy. We look at the Old Testament and think, no, everything miraculous and prophetic was in the days of the apostles. Listen, the whole book is about prophecy came through prophetic utterance. Prophets all through the Old Testament. It's not an old, stuffy old covenant and we don't need to look at it. It's all God breathed and prophesied. It's prophecy. Notice this. Asaph and his sons were separated. And the word separated here is the word badal. I want you to catch this. Do you know what it means? To divide to distinguish. Notice, to divide or to distinguish, to put a difference. And, and here, through God's leading, David says, Asaph and his sons, there's a difference between these people now and the rest of you. Why? They're separated onto a different service than you. 
And brothers and sisters, even here there are those who are separated under a different service than each other in here. Led of the Spirit, whether that be through the Word of God or you going seeking God's face for service. And, and here he said, you're led aside for the service of God, Asaph and his sons. But here's what I want you to see. They prophesied. And they prophesied with harps and with psalteries and with cymbals. What does that mean? What does that mean? So in other words, they were playing music and prophesying while the music was going. They were playing their instruments as on to the Lord and the Spirit moving through them. Worship team, this isn't just about instruments. This is about worship. And I know people say, oh, you shouldn't have instruments in the church. Or others say, you know, oh, you, 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 you shouldn't have such and such an instrument in the church. And, and others say there shouldn't be any prophecy in the church. And even in the Old Covenant, they, they played instruments and they prophesied. Notice this, if you will. I'm going to show this word, badal, for separate. Genesis 1 and 4, I'm going to just throw these out because there's a few of them. And I want you to see these as as we look at it. Remember, it's to do with separation. How we as a believing, Bible-believing church should be separated unto God's service. Separated unto Him. Notice Genesis 1 and 4. And God saw the light that it was good and divided the light from the darkness. And we will go, well, that's... That's as plain as the nose in your face. Light and darkness are, are totally different. And that's the same word. But all separate Asaph and his sons. That's what God does. He, and the thing is, brothers and sisters and friends this morning, we have to ask then, are you separate from the word? Do you know every time we enter into a place of separation into the sanctuary of God. Every time we have, as it were, the one for a better word, a gateway, a portal to heaven. One in the Spirit. But whenever we look at ungodliness or whenever we enter into, whether it be even the the demonic music that's out now, the worldly music, and listen, young people, for you, you're entering into a gateway to another world of spirits. That's another gateway for you. And if your children are listening to ungodly music, that's another gateway, a portal into other spirits. So are we separate and sanctified from the world? As God separated the light from the dark, so is the same word for separation, separate off, divide off, Asaph and his sons. They're going to be separate from me. People will know the difference because I'm making a difference, he said. And the difference is they will play, but they will prophesy. They will prophesy. Let me show you another one. Exodus 26 and 33. And this is to do with the tabernacle, the sanctuary of God. Exodus 26 and 33. And the veil shall divide. It's the word badal. It means it will distinguish. It will make a difference or put a difference between. It will separate. The veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. You had the outer court and then you walked to the holy place. And you had some of the furniture there. And then there was the, the curtain down and it was the most holy. And it was totally different. It was totally separate. And only the high priest of Israel could go in once a year with blood to make atonement. And everybody knew that's different than here. Now listen, brothers and sisters, in the Greek New Testament, that holy place, or the, sorry, the most holy, or the holy of holies, is known as the naos. The naos, some pronounce it naos. 
It's known as, and it's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the blood was sprinkled. It was where the glory of God came down. And only the high priest could stand behind this veil. Divide it off. I'm going to show you more of this in a moment, why this was like this. And hence the high priest went in with the stones off it of the twelve tribes of Israel, each stone representing a tribe. And there was a breastplate of judgment, that's what you called it, hanging over his neck and over his breast here. And the twelve tribes represented on the twelve stones. And as he walked in, he had a bell and a pomegranate, and a bell and a pomegranate, and a bell and a pomegranate, the whole way around the skirts of his garment. As he walked in with the blood, he sprinkled the blood. And there's the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, with the two angels touching wings. And he sprinkles the blood on it, the mercy seat. It's called the propitiation. In the mercy seat, the two angels touching wings. And as he sprinkles the blood, the glory of God would come. And the only thing that stopped the high priest from being consumed by the glory of God was the blood and the mercy. And he's representing, he's ministering in the tabernacle that's divided and separated off and distinguished from everywhere else, not only in the tabernacle, but from the whole earth. In the whole earth. This is the only little room, the only place God would come. And God is saying, if you want to come, you come my way. And he says to Moses, there, I will meet with you there. He didn't say I'll meet with you somewhere else, but I'll meet with you there. This was the sanctuary, the set-apart place of God. And hence the glory would come down. The high priest, as he moved around, the bell and the pomegranate would clang one off the other and make a sound. And outside that veil that separated them off, the other priest would listen in the holy place, into the holy of holies. Is the high priest still alive? I can hear the sound of the bell and the pomegranates. A while later, is he still alive? Has God consumed him? Was the blood enough? I can hear the sound of the bell and the pomegranates. He's still alive. Brothers and sisters, there's a heavenly sanctuary where our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, shed his blood. And we listen for the word this morning and the word says the blood is enough. The blood is enough. And he ascended into glory after being raised from the dead. Ascended into glory. And there in a heavenly sanctuary he ministers as it were on our behalf. And how do we know our high priest is still alive? We listen for the bell and the pomegranates. What do you mean? It's called the gifts. And the fruit of the Holy Ghost. That he's moving in the church. Gifting his church. With the gifts. The nine gifts. And the nine fruit of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, our high priest is still alive. The great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Take note, if you will. Take note. This holy place is separated. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. So he's saving a people who need saved. That's really speaking to here in their sin, in their trespasses, in their transgressions. And he says... Behold, the Lord's hand does not shorten that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Verse 2, but your iniquities, your perversity it means, your avon is the word, your depravity. In other words, your guilty condition before God separates between you and God. Notice, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Notice, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The guiltiness of the people, the guiltiness caused God's ear not to hear. Doesn't say he couldn't hear, but not to hear. And the idea of this is, is the word there, 
if your, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. It's the same word, but all, as light and darkness, as the holy place with a veil to separate the most holy place, that only the high priest could go. Everybody else was outside of it. They weren't included in this. They were excluded. Just that high priest once a year. And God says, your sins, your, your, your guilty condition, he says to the sinner, has made me, I won't hear you. I can't hear you. But until you're ready for repentance, I won't. And the word separated is the same word. Between me and you is a great gulf fixed. And until you're forgiven, that is in Christ. Until you're repented, that is through Christ. Imputed faith. He won't hear. Same word. So brothers and sisters here, he says, your sins is the... It really means you've missed the mark. Paul says in Romans 3 and 23, from all, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it means to miss the mark. You've missed the mark. So in Psalm 73, if you will turn to it with me, please. I'll tell you what, before we go, let's go to 1 Chronicles uh, 23. Go to that first. Instead of going back and forward, while we're here, I'll get a drink. So we have separation. Of Asaph and the sons. Prophesying with music. And then if you go to 1 Chronicles 23. Just let your eye run down. I'm going to show you the, the, the biggest worship team I've ever heard about in my life. Most, most musicians and singers I've ever heard of. And any sort of even there was a I know some uh, uh, somewhere away singing last night. That's why Matt was to sing this morning, but he's a wee bit froggy this morning, not you, Matt? He was away singing last night, and Marie was away. It was just the two years from here, was it? Away singing in the big choir down in Glenmacken last night. So what do you see this for a team in a choir? First Chronicles chapter twenty-three and verse five. Moreover. 4,000 were porters. 4,000 praised the Lord with instruments, which I made, said David, to praise therewith. David says there were 4,000 instruments going. Can you imagine that? Imagine walking in the door and somebody's handed an instrument. Somebody's handed a, I don't know, a tambourine. <laughs> Uh, somebody's handed a guitar, somebody's handed a, a, a drum, somebody's handed a mouth organ, somebody's handed a, I don't know, a borum, I don't know. <laughs> you keep going, cymbals and imagine that, and everybody playing. It, 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 took, it, it took some gathering together, but what it was is they were playing unto the Lord. They were playing unto God. It wasn't as if it's a showpiece. Today you find in churches it's all about showpiece professionalism. Listen, I believe in doing things right and good. Don't get me wrong. But I'd rather have it where we know that we're free in the spirit to worship as he leads us. Not boxing him in. So there's all these 4,000, praise the Lord. Um, Second Chronicles 5, please. And then we'll go in a wee moment to Psalm 73. Second Chronicles 5. That's where I run down to verse 12. Also the Levites, which were singers, all of them. That's like the deacons. Isn't it? All the deacons were singers. And we got all the men up to sing, remember, not so long ago. All the deacons were singers. And there was a few dummy fluters among us, like, but uh, uh, all the deacons, all the Levites here were, were singers. All of them, of Asaph, of Haman, of 
Jagathon with their sons, their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. Notice, a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. Go with me to Acts chapter 1, if you will. Acts chapter 1. Uh, just, just for time's sake, verse 15. This is in the upper room at the, after the ascension of our Lord Jesus. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Now, this verse here in Second Chronicles 5 and 12 tells us there were 120 priests sounding trumpets. This is the consecration of the new temple, sanctuary of God. 120 priests blowing trumpets in the congregation, or pardon me, in the, in the sanctuary of God for the new temple, Solomon's temple, the second temple. Pardon me, the first temple. Now notice this. In the New Testament, 120 are in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, please. And verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, that's the 120, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now take note, brothers and sisters. They come out of here speaking in other tongues after 120 of them. You know what they were doing? Blowing the trumpet. The new temple the dedication of the new temple, the new covenant, the new temple. What were they doing? They were speaking with other tongues. 120 as Solomon had, 120 priests blowing it. Do you think it's there by accident? They're saying, today the Lord has consecrated his new temple in the new covenant. And they spoke with other tongues. They sounded the alarm. They gave the good news. And they were all hearing it. Consecrating the new temple. And Paul says, the apostle Paul says, that you and I, the Christian born again believer, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Do you know what the word for temple is there? The naos. Remember I told you earlier on, the Holy of Holies in the Greek was called the naos. The place where the high priest met with God, separated and divided off from the rest. The naos, or the naos as some say. Paul says, you and I are the new temple, the naos. You and I are that temple. Now we know when the Lord Jesus was crucified, the veil that made the difference between the separated God and man, your sins have separated, the veil that was there. None could go in there to be consumed. The high priest was allowed once a year. Mercy allowed him. When Jesus was crucified, it says the veil was rent from in twain from the top to the bottom. Isn't that right? Rent it in twain from the top to the bottom. Do you know why? Because in Christ being the new temple, we now have free access into the holy place, the sanctuary of God. We are the sanctuary of God. He lives in us. He lives in us. 
So, I might need to do part two next week. I'm only touching the surface of this at the minute. Take note, if you will, Asaph is separated off. He's separated off distinct. There's our separation is to be distinct. Our, our neighbors, even our families, should say, well, you know, look, brothers and sisters, when I got saved, my, my family were Presbyterian on the road. My mum went sporadically, had some sort of religion about her, you know, some sort of a fear of God about her in a, sen- in a sense, but didn't know him, wasn't saved. And when I got saved, my family just thought, yep, our Kenneth has lost a plot. Thought I was nuts. Couldn't understand it and don't come preaching to me, son. My mum was like, oh, that's good, that's good. As long as it takes you away from that old drink and all that old stuff, son, that's great, I'm delighted. Didn't understand the difference between so-called religion or, or your name on the, on a roll on a in a church role, and your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. The thing is, brothers and sisters, from then, in God's grace to now, many mistakes all the time. I've made many, still do. But from then to now, my life has been separated unto God. God didn't call me and save me and Jesus died for me and shed his blood for me. God didn't place his spirit in me for me to be like the world, to act like the world, to speak like the world, to think like the world. He saved me. And the book of Hebrews says he's bringing many sons to glory. He saved you for the same purpose. And there are people who are saved, but they're not too sanctified. They don't know the difference between between saved and going on with God and sanctified unto God and messing around in the world and hoping in His grace. When we are saved, we should be set apart. Set apart completely sanctified. Look, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not people's spiritual policeman. I'm just the pastor here. I'm just the one who's been given the word to bring you. Uh, and, you know, and you've come faithfully, and I appreciate that. And I'm not condemning one person here this morning. But where to stay sanctified? And today in today's churches, live how you like. And a lot of, not everywhere, but a lot of places... Be how you like, talk how you like, act like how you like. And sanctification is to be set apart. Even if you go to the Old Testament word, the badal, it's like you should be, the difference between you and the world should be light and dark. Light and dark. The difference in your walk with Christ should be the difference where religion takes you to a veil and you stop at a veil. But relationship in Christ brings you right into the Holy of Holies sanctuary of God. You see, it's there that we have strength. It's there that we meet the Allah. It's there we become entwined, as it were, twisted together with the one true living God, the God of uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. It's there that we find our strength and our help and our hope. It's in that. Many of us carry the burden Many of us know God has convicted us of things. Could be whatever. I'm not going to try and guess it. He knows it and you know it. Convicts us of things and we know it may be what's more profitable for me, I think. And it's not profitable for you. Listen, I'd rather rather have nothing and live in a hovel. And I mean that. I'd rather have nothing and live in a hovel and have the presence of Christ than have everything I think I need and do without him. And he, he knows, I've been there before. I've lived in hovels before. And I'll tell you what, I was as happy as a pig in muck. You know why? Because I knew it was before him. Separated unto God. 
difference between darkness and light. Relationship will bring you to the curtain like this, and you can't get in. But that curtain's rent. And when you come in, or pardon me, religion, but when you come in relationship to Jesus, uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that he hath consecrated a new and living way for us. The word consecrated gives the idea that he has sat down, set apart, and cemented, as it were, concreted a way for you to walk into his presence. And it's through the rent veil. It's through the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. Remember David bringing the Ark of Testimony, the Ark of Covenant in? And they're bringing it in wrong. They tried to they bring it in on a cart, and the Lord uh, smote Yusa for touching the cart, remember? And they sent it back to, 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 to uh, uh, what's his name? Can't remember. Who? Who said that? Thank you, Stephen. Yes. Obed-Edom or Obed-Edom or whatever way you want to pronounce it. And Obed-Edom, God was blessing his house. He's probably an old Edomite too. God says, I'm going to show these Israelites that I'll bless who I want to bless. And David says, no, we've got to bring it in. And he looks it up on the scrolls and he says, Lord, how do we bring this in? And the prophetic word tells him, get the priest to carry it on staves through rings. And this is how you bring it in. And David started slaying animals. Remember, uh, he, he slayed an animal and a few more paces and he'd done another one and done, he had another one done and another one. Probably for about two or three miles. Think of the gallons and the liters of blood and the priests were walking through the blood. It was on their feet. It was around their ankles. It was on their skirts of their garments. Uh, the whiteness of their garments would have been stained and splattered with blood, red blood. And walk through the blood with it. To bring the Ark of the Covenant in. Now the Hebrew writer takes something like that and he says, but you, believer, you Christian, when you come and say, I'm coming, Lord, by the blood of the Lamb, I'm coming through the blood of your Son. And when you come, he says, the veil is open, Son. The veil has been rent, daughter. There's nothing between you and me. We have relationship one with another. And you have access 24-7 to enter into the sanctuary of God. And many don't. Many just enter in to the doorway of it as such. And many are held back because the Lord says, you know this is wrong. You know what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to finish with this point. Psalm 73, Asaph starts the psalm off with a proclamation. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Brothers and sisters, you know something? I want to amen that. God is good. God is good. He could have left us to our own devices. He could have left us in our sin, in our depravity. He could have stayed separated from us. He does not need us, but in love and in grace and in mercy, he sent his son for us. He could have said, no, off you go. There's a day's time then. There's a lake of fire. Read the, the revelation that I will bring forward. You can read it and see it. But he loved us. And God is good. You know what? I'm never going to be in the lake of fire. And if you're saved this morning, you're never going to be in the lake of fire because you're saved by the grace of God. Will you say praise the Lord? Isn't he wonderful? God is good. Asaph starts the psalm off with proclamation of God's goodness. But take note that God is good to his people and Asaph proclaims it Listen, and he makes no excuses for it. I want to make a point here because I'm closing. Time is running on. He makes no excuses for it. And even though he realizes the fate of the wicked in it, and even though he also knows their end, he sees their prosperity and how they are, and it affects him. But he makes no excuses for God. 
What sort of a God is this that's going to take away the riches of someone? What sort of a God is this that removes someone's business, if you want, because uh, it's against his will? Sure, let us go. Let us be. What sort of a God is this? What sort of a God is this that's going to uh, change lives? Does he want us all to be robots? Isn't that what you hear all the time? Things like that. What sort of God is this that's going to judge people at the end of day? What sort of a God will throw them into a lake of fire? What sort of a God is that? It's a God of sovereignty. He's a God of mercy. And those who have rejected have rejected through their depravity. And we try and make excuses for him. We try and soften it so those people won't reject God or fall out with God. Listen, see if God lays his sovereign claims on a man and woman, there's nothing you can do, nothing you can say that will not eventually see them coming to faith in God. God is greater than me, do you know that? And God is bigger and stronger and greater than you, do you know that? And when God lays his sovereign claim, then God will take that one whom he has laid his sovereign claim upon. He might not use you and they might fall out with God through you, but eventually he will bring them to himself. Take note. Let the children know they can make their way out, please. Asaph is not making any excuses for God. And in verse 17, he tells us, I understood when I was in the sanctuary. Did you ever get in before God into that place? Or maybe you gather together and the Spirit of God is evident among us and we're singing or maybe the preaching of the Word or whatever. Did you ever get into that place, brothers and sisters? I mean, really into that place where you start understanding things you didn't understand? Or you start thinking Lord, you've been so good to me. You know I prayed on the way up here this morning? I prayed for uh, the man across the road. I prayed that the Lord would save him, but I prayed that the Lord would keep him in good health. Even though he's in dire opposition to us. But I prayed and says, Lord, thank you. That you're good to me. Thank you, you're good to me. I want to thank you, Lord, that you haven't left me to my own devices. I want to thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave me in the muck and the mire that I was in. I want to thank you, Lord, that even though my sins are many, they've all been washed and wiped away clean. I want to thank you, Lord, that I know you. This isn't. This isn't just a Sunday religion thing. I know you. Lord, I want to thank you that you have loved me when I was unlovable. And I also say, Lord, I don't know why. I say it all the time anyway, but I say it again this morning. I don't know why, Lord, you've placed me before this people this morning. Or why they would even come out. But Lord, for you to use me in whatever way you want to use me, it's a privilege for me to do so. Thank you, Lord. See if God's using you, brothers and sisters. God's gifted you, talented you. Stay in faithfulness because it's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege. And if my privilege to serve the Lord meant scrubbing out the toilets we have brushed down there, then I'll do it. I've done it. It's not right, Nana. <laughs> she took a photograph of me <laughs> I'm not saying that as a boast I'm saying I've done it it's a privilege it's a privilege we were speaking just there about the, the, the drive-in some, we're here now believe it or not coming three years and we're talking with Andrew and uh, he's actually talking with TT and he said See in the drive and I remember he says you're there and you can see your breath forming in the air. <laughs> it was minus five one night and you preached on 
I says, aye, but I wasn't the, I didn't get the worst of it. Glenn got the worst because I was able to walk up and down like this to try. He was sitting there the whole time. And Andre was sitting down here in the, out in the freezing cold. So I didn't get the worst of it. But it was a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a sanctuary of God. See this tent? I'm glad we have it. I'm glad we have it. It's a sanctuary of God. Would I like a nice building? Yes, are we looking? Absolutely we are. Very hard. But we need the right one, the right place. And God will cause that to happen. But while we're here, this tent is a sanctuary of God. And I thank God for it and the family who allow us to be here. I think I'll, I want to look at apologetics in it next week. Christians are always apologizing for the things of God, even on the radio now. I heard a certain group on, I don't usually listen too much to the radio. I, I listen to preachers, but I turned it on and I heard, a, I was even Jalagala Lance was on it. Now, I don't think they meant any harm in it, and I don't know what they mean themselves in it, but they were on one of these morning programs anyway. I don't want to go any further. And now, I don't know if they're changing their name from Evangelical to Good News People. It's too strong, Evangelical, you see. So we're Good News People. So Good News, I don't know exactly. I don't want to run people down on that, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's okay, I don't know. But I sort of thought... Lord, why are we always softening up the word? Why are people always softening up to speak? Why are we always softening up things? To, uh, is it the, the fear of man is bringing a snare? Why are we always changing for the world? And whether it's all these lobbyist groups out there who are coming in hard and heavy and who, are, uh, who have infiltrated every media circus there is out there, why do we always have to soften it up? See, when I go into the presence of God, then I understand their end. When I go into the presence of God, I understand God's power. When I go into the presence of God, I know where I've been saved from and where I'm saved of two when I go into the presence of God when I go into the sanctuary of God I, I know more brothers and sisters next week in God's will I'm going to talk about apologies and apologetics there's two different things now apologies and apologetics are two different things and the Christians are always apologies apologies instead of apologetics apologetics God bless you.